0: Alright, what's the random question generator got for us today? How have you changed since you were younger? Got taller. <laughs> <laughs> that's How about it? you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, grew up grew up a little bit. Um all right, that that's a super <laughs> one. All right, you go, you go. That's like too deep.
0: What position do you usually sleep
1: in? I'm definitely a side sleeper, but for some reason I don't get like great REM sleep. Mm. And as you could tell, I'm a, I'm a little sick, so that's probably part of it. I don't get enough good sleep, and my posture is probably terrible from doing that, but that's the only way I could sleep, so.
0: Yeah, I'm a stomach down ass up kind of guy. No shot. <laughs> <laughs> no
1: shot you sleep by your stomach. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, I know your answer is about to be something stupid. Because you have the worst food opinions of all time.
0: I think my answer would be chicken wings. That's a respectable answer. A lot of versatility in the sauces. You know, you wouldn't get bored of it. They're classic.
1: That's what I was going to say is you need to pick something that's versatile. So I guess for me, it would probably be pizza Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: you could get you know, different toppings, different sauces, uh, so you don't have to eat the same pepperoni pizza over and over. It'd probably be pizza for me, but chicken wings is definitely a respectable answer. That'd probably be top five in in my list too.
0: Yeah, pizza is a good one. If you found $100 on the ground, what would you do with it?
1: Probably put it in best ball (laughs) because I'm a degenerate. Yeah, just try and turn that $100 into a million on underdog or into $10,000 on drafters and go about my day. How about you?
0: I mean, same, to be honest. That's going that's going right in the That's right how you know don't you have a problem.
1: <laughs> it wouldn't go towards bills or, no. or paying rent or you know putting food on your table. It'd go into your best ball wallet so you could go and and draft whoever in the fifteenth round and try and win a
0: million dollars. Oh hold up. I got I got another good one right here. Would you rather be the best player on a horrible team or the worst player on a great team? See, I've seen
1: this question over like social media in the last couple of days, actually. So that's funny that we got this question. And I think which side you choose definitely says a lot about what type of person you are. Are you like a team player or are you a selfish person? And for me, I I think, I don't know, it's tough. I, I would probably choose the worst player on a championship team just because I like winning more than being great, but also like, i don't know because i also hate being trash at something so i don't know it's probably 51 49 in favor of the worst player but it's very close
0: see i mean i think that that's just a flat out lie like of knowing you for so long you definitely <laughs> want to be the best player on, on a bad team like it just, i like i think about cod not you don't that, care about winning you just care no, about i being want the best. to win <laughs> bullshit.
1: bullshit no no i swear I just want to win at the end of the day Mm. in life. I just want to be the best. Like, the best example is flag football, right? Like I play on a flag football team. You know, I I just want to win a championship because we haven't won one. So I don't care about trying to be the best and having the best stats in the league. I just care about winning. So I'll do whatever the team needs. You can ask Jared, you know, friend of the show about it. And I do whatever is needed of me uh, on the team to win. So I mean, in, in certain areas, like I said, I do want to be the best like COD. That's why I said it's really close. But if we're just talking in terms of like sports winning championships, I'd much rather win a championship.
0: All right, you got you got one more?
1: Yeah, what is your favorite ice cream flavor?
0: Mmm. Cookie dough. Okay. That's that's
1: a respectable answer. What
0: about you? If
1: you said mint chocolate chip, I would have ended the podcast <laughs> right here. Whoever says mint chocolate chip is just shot in the head. oh uh, but my my favorite, I don't I don't know. I don't really eat ice cream that much. Probably something with peanut butter cups in it, or just like a plain vanilla. Is probably my go to.
0: Ish, mate, your voice sounds like you could use some ice cream right now. <laughs> Did you
1: know ice cream actually hurts your voice? I didn't. Because cream is not great for your throat. Even though my throat sounds very sore, like I said, I'm just a little under the weather.
0: That's mm. all. I think that's enough cream talk for one episode. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 149 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we've put together a list of the seven most important questions that will impact the fantasy football landscape in 2021. Questions that if we can nail the answers to should provide clarity and give us an edge in spots where our opponents are making mistakes. Also, backed by popular demand, a listener-favorite segment, 1v1, will make its return at the end of the show, so stick around for that, and if you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict, we are everywhere, and if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, before we get into the main part of this show, I wanted to take a step back and reflect on the four episodes that we dropped last week.
1: Yeah, so if you're listening to this episode right now and you haven't gone and checked out our four part series on breaking down Ben's tiers for each position in fantasy football you can find those episodes in this same podcast feed on the DFS DOS or you can go over to our YouTube channel at the DFS DOS and watch those videos individually we got four up there we had four great guests on to help us talk about each position for best ball talk about roster construction player exposure players that they like players that they don't like It, it was it was a good time and make sure you go check those out and you know we've We've had a lot of support on our YouTube over the last month or so, so it's been good. And make sure you go check those out. Yeah,
0: that that was really good. Super stellar guests that we had on there. Some of the best best ball players out there, Joey. I, before we get into things, I just wanted to you know get your biggest takeaway or or lesson learned from having those conversations.
1: Yeah, so I would say my biggest takeaway, like like I just mentioned, is just the emphasis that they put on roster construction and player exposure. Right, while you know those are fairly simple concepts, like in the grand scheme of best ball i feel like that's what our guests emphasize the most instead of like the actual players and the actual tiers themselves and i would say just looking at best ball tournaments 20 to 30 percent of teams off the rip are dead just due to poor roster construction right so if you go into best ball and you poorly uh, draft your roster, you know, you're probably not going to win and you're not going to advance into the playoffs. So I think that was one of the more important lessons that they kind of focused on. And then I I know James specifically touched on player exposure quite a bit and, you know, mentioned that you can't really go heavy on one guy. And that's also something that I took away from that because I definitely agree, you know, as fantasy football players, we're not good at predicting the future very much. So You just have to make sure your exposure is spread out to where if a player gets hurt, you know, it doesn't kill your teams. You know, if you draft 100% Josh Allen and he goes down week one, your teams are dead, right? So uh, the, just those two lessons are, are probably some of the biggest ones that I, that I took away from the guys.
0: Yeah. And, and the first one, especially for me, is what I really got from it. Like, I feel like I had a pretty strong understanding of roster construction going into it on like a macro level, but then from like a micro perspective on the best and most optimal way to utilize certain rounds in the draft, I think was was huge for me, especially the conversation we had with Establish the Runs, Jack Miller, talking about the running back dead zone and win rates, and just the way that optimally you should not be finishing round seven with less than four wide receivers. The numbers show clear cut that, you know, if you're drafting wide receivers over running backs in rounds three through seven or or three through six, you're going to have a better chance at taking things down in the end. So to me, like just sort Mm -hmm. of a sharper understanding, like I had a good grasp on how many players you should dedicate to each position, but just those conversations really helped uh, enlighten me in terms of you know, how to really start drafts optimally.
1: I I definitely agree with that. And I've been implementing that in uh, some of the drafts that I've done since those podcasts. So I definitely took into account uh, what those guests had to say. And I feel like I've been drafting better teams, more optimal teams, I should say.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Joey. But let's get in to the important questions that that we need to have some answers to. And I want to start off with a quarterback situation that nobody seems to really have a strong grasp on, and it's with the New Orleans Saints. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook put up a couple of props early last week, and one of them was which quarterback is going to be the week one starter in New Orleans. The odds currently are Winston minus 250 as a favorite and Hill at plus 175. Now, if we can figure out which of these guys is likely to start the season and potentially start the entire season, there's going to be bold implications because, you know, there are two players in the top 30 in terms of ADP that are Saints skill players, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, and depending on the Quarterback. These players could have very different, you know, outcomes come 2021.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And just to answer the question of who will be the like the starting quarterback, in my opinion, I think it's Winston. I think he should be the starter 100, especially for fantasy football purposes. And I believe that he will be the starter. Um, he is the favorite right now over Taysom Hill. You know, he's a former first overall pick who has multiple seasons of starter experience. You know, he sat behind Drew Brees last year. They still have Sean McVay who's a great offensive mind so having Winston as a starter in New Orleans would be very beneficial I think for the Saints guys that are going in the top 30 right now in best ball but I will say when Drew Brees went down last season it was Taysom Hill that was starting and I think people seem to forget that and I don't know, I think that says a lot, honestly, that Winston wasn't the guy. And if we just take a look at the money, because I think that's something to follow. Taysom Hill is set to make $12 million this year. Winston is only set to make $5 million. So Taysom is making $7 million more million than Jameis Winston in 2021. So I, I don't know, combine that with the fact that Taysom was the guy last year. He got more money from the Saints this year. I think betting Taysom Hill at plus 175 to be the week one starter is probably the smart bet just in terms of those odds. But I think Winston should be the starter is kind of my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think we're certainly hoping that Winston's the starter because, you know, I know that there's an infatuation with Taysom Hill inside the Saints building, but I mean, God, the way that Hill would affect these skill position players, I think it's pretty grim. You know, we saw Alvin Kamara average only 2.5 receptions per game in Taysom Hill's four starts last season. And, you know, Kamara's a guy that had between 81 and 83 receptions in four consecutive years in the NFL. I mean, if he's seeing 2.5 on average for 17 games, that number's literally getting cut in half. And Kamara will be one of the biggest busts in the first round. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. just from that perspective, I think we really hope that it's Jameis. And again, you know, I know that Jameis struggled and with the interceptions and such, but I just don't think that Taysom Hill has the same upside that Jameis Winston does. I, I know that he's a rusher, but he doesn't have 5,000-yard passing upside like we saw in Jameis Winston's last season as a starter, and I think that would directly impact the type of season that Michael Thomas was able to have, as well as some of the ancillary options like Marquez Calloway and Traquan Smith.
1: Yeah, so I, I think Taysom's ceiling is definitely lower than Winston's. Um, he, he's definitely never going to be a 5,000-yard passer, and he's not that great of a quarterback, let's be honest. He's a solid gadget player. He's gotten you know, more 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 touches over the course of his Saints tenure and like I mentioned he is making more money than Jameis Winston so if I'm at the DraftKings Sportsbook right now and I and I see this option I'm taking Taysom Hill at plus 175 even if Winston is a starter I just think that's a smart bet I'm a plus EV bet so that's probably where I would put my money but I'm I'm expecting Winston to to be the guy just because like I mentioned this this guy's a first overall pick and has experience playing 16 games you know playing as a starter for a whole season for an NFL franchise which Taysom Hill does not
0: and even if Jameis is the starter I think the way this bet would play out is like Taysom Hill could take the first snap at quarterback and Jameis play the rest of the game and I think that Taysom wins that and and we know that even if Jameis is the you know quote-unquote starter Taysom Hill is going to be involved so I think just from a pure betting perspective that it's clear cut that you go with Taysom in that spot at plus 175 let's talk about another quarterback situation that could impact a handful of fantasy assets and that is your New England Patriots. There was a report earlier this week that Mac Jones and Cam Newton will have a legit camp battle to see who the starter is. I think the consensus coming into this was that Cam Newton was locked and loaded to be the Patriots starter. And the odds sort of tell that same story. Cam is minus 305 to be the week one starter, whereas Mac Jones is plus 225. But if Mac Jones shows out in camp, do you believe there's a legit possibility that he's the week one starter in New England?
1: I definitely do. And I, I think this is another situation where I would bet on the underdog here. Plus 225 is very good odds to bet on, you know, a first round rookie quarterback coming in and displacing, you know, a quarterback that wasn't really great last year and hasn't been great for a couple seasons. Now, if I had to guess, I I, I think. It's, it's pretty, it's a very similar situation. I think Cam will be the starter just because, you know, he has the NFL pedigree similar to Jameis Winston. First overall pick, you know, he's been an MVP. So I do, I do think that gives him the leg up, but I think ideally, Mac. Is a better fit for the Patriots offense. You know, he's a smart, decisive pocket passer that will allow the Patriots to run a similar offense that they did during Brady's tenure in New England. So Cam is probably the guy still, but we could see a switch sooner than later. And I will say I'm starting to come around to the idea of it. Honestly, um, I I know I wasn't the biggest Mac Jones fan a couple months ago, but. I think he could be good for the Patriots, and I think he could be good for the Patriots skill position players, too, if he becomes QB1. Yeah,
0: I I think it's a like, a bold assumption to assume that Mac Jones is a boost for the pass catchers, but I also see the reasoning behind it. I think that Cam Newton, if he's the starter, has more individual value than Mac Jones, just because what he's able to do is a rusher. Cam Mm -hmm. saw the 16th most rush attempts in the red zone of any player in the league last year, had 12 rushing touchdowns, and you're just not going to see those numbers out of Mac Jones. But if Mac is the better passer, like I think a lot of people are expecting, that could be huge for players like Jacoby Myers, the two tight ends, and Jonu and Henry. And I think also importantly, Damian Harris, who's, you know, going in the eighth round of best ball drafts right now, if Cam Newton isn't vulturing 10 plus rushing touchdowns, then Damian Harris could go from being someone that you and I both have described as a floor play to someone with a legit ceiling and potentially 10 touchdown upside.
1: Yeah, I I think Damian Harris would get a significant boost if Cam is not the starter, just because Cam is going to vulture on the goal line, obviously, and he's just going to vulture in the rushing game, right? He averaged nine rushing attempts per game last year. So if you take away those nine attempts because Mac Jones isn't going to get them, they're most likely going to go to Damian Harris and they're most likely going to be passes. Instead of uh, rush attempts. So Damian Harris, I think, as a 17 game starter, if he stays healthy um, with Mac Jones under center. Would definitely be a candidate to see, you know, probably ten touchdowns and a thousand yards on the ground is probably what I would project him for. But he's still limited in the passing game. That's James White's role, and he'll probably finish the season with like ten catches. Something very similar to Sony Michelle's uh twenty nineteen stat line where he where he had like two hundred forty seven attempts, about a thousand yards, eight touchdowns or so and twelve catches. I I definitely think Mac Jones uh boosts the the skill guys more than Cam Newen.
0: Mm. All right, moving on to our third question here, we're going to talk about Seattle. And there's been some buzz that with their new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, that this offense is finally going to move away from the run dominant scheme that it's been in Russ Wilson's tenure and finally allow this man to get in the kitchen and cook. So I think if that's the case, and this team becomes more pass heavy, that almost everybody in this offense is a Do you agree with that?
1: I don't know if if they'd be of value because, you know, DK Metcalf is top three round guy. Tyler Lockett's like a top five, top six round guy. Russ is going in the sixth, seventh round. So I think they're pretty appropriately priced right now and I, I just don't know if I believe that because Pete Carroll I think has the say at the end of the day and he was quoted earlier in the year saying how you know they had, they got to establish the run so we, we could see that but maybe I'm wrong but last year the Seahawks were 19th in seconds per play and the Rams Shane Waldron his former team they were 16th so it, it wasn't that great of a defense I just think that they want to implement like different quick hitting plays like screens as in such that the Seahawks have rare ra- Rarely used over the last couple of seasons. I will note in Waldron's four years in Los Angeles, the Rams have ranked top ten in passing yards and top ten in rushing yards three out of his four years. So it is probably an upgrade for those guys having uh, Waldron as the offensive coordinator over uh, Schottenheimer. But I don't, I don't know how much it's going to change.
0: I, I think it's interesting because you know Seattle wouldn't have to be like the pass heaviest team in the league to be a lot pass heavier than they've been in the past. Like if you look at the last six years, in five of those seasons, Seattle has been in the bottom half of pass attempts over the league. And the one year that they weren't, they were 15th. So they they were still barely above average. Now, you know, they could be in the top 10 and that'd be a massive improvement for Russell Wilson. And we saw the wide receivers have super productive seasons, both Metcalf. And Lockett were top eight wide receivers in PPR last season, but both of them finished outside the top ten in target. So if those targets go up, I think the ceiling on both of those players rises. We know that that this team wants to utilize tight end in the passing game more with Gerald Everett, a player who follows Shane Waldron from L.A. where he coached before. And you know, I think that all signs point to this being an improved outlook, and Russell Wilson could be a tier one quarterback if that's the case.
1: Yeah. No, I, I I agree with that. And especially since in Seattle, it's a very, you know, narrow tree of targets. Like we know DK and and Lockett are going to get targets, but besides the top two guys, they don't really have anybody. So it's going to be those two guys. It's going to be Gerald Everett. I'm expecting pretty big things out of those three guys. Tyler Lockett, not so much, but he's probably a value right now in, in fantasy. And you know, he, he's a good ceiling guy as we've seen over the last couple of years. So yeah. I think that I think we definitely could see Seattle's offense improve with, you know, this young up and comer and Shane Waldron, who will probably be a head coach in the next uh, three or four years.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, take it over to the AFC North, where I want to ask you how big of an issue do you think that the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is going to be this year. I mean, is it going to be bad enough that it could derail Burrow's career? You know, if we look at last season, according to PFF, Burrow was sacked 32 times in his 11 starts. That was second most over that time span. He was hit the fifth most times of any quarterback in his starts. We're all expecting this offense to be, cooking right we've got jamar chase t higgins tyler boyd and joe burrow returning off of injury but if the o-line is truly abysmal they obviously opted to go with chase over sewell like everybody expected them to in the first round of this draft they haven't really done much to improve this offensive line this could be a serious issue and be a big letdown for a lot of people who are drafting these skill position players in the top seven rounds
1: it would definitely be a problem 100%. 100%. If I, if I had to rate it, it would probably be like a seven, seven and a half out of 10 in terms of the panic scale. You know, although they, they did kind of address it through free agency. You know, they went out and signed Riley Reef and they drafted a lineman in the second round. You know, they, they did address it, which is good. And I think that's a step in the right direction, but. They still have a bottom five offensive line, for sure, no doubt about it, and I I think they definitely have to be cautious with Burrow due to the offensive line concerns, but I'm not really too concerned for it in terms of fantasy purposes, because as long as Burrow's healthy, we know that he's going to pass the ball a ton. The Bengals' defense isn't that great either, so they should be in great game scripts for the wide receivers and for Burrow to just rack up pass attempts, so not too worried in terms of that department, but if let's say Joe Burrow does get hurt again. I mean, God, it it would just be a huge problem and they'd probably receive crazy backlash for not addressing that issue in the draft by taking Chase over Sewell.
0: Right. And and another interesting note I I saw when looking through the PFF stats is that The Bengals last year had 10 players who logged at least 200 snaps on the O-line, and something we've learned over the past couple of years is that it's almost about year-over-year consistency and congruency of the players on the line more so than even the players themselves, or at least equally. So the fact that this offensive line isn't going to have much chemistry I think is a major concern, and I, I think it could potentially lead to this offense being a year out from hitting the potential that I think we're all expecting it to have um you know maybe it's a slow year while well, the offensive line gains some uh chemistry with one another and then we truly see things fly in 2022 um, obviously the talent is hard to get away from it. And I'm not saying don't stack this team and don't target these players. But I, I do think that we have to be cognizant that there's a possibility that we could be a year out from from seeing the Bengals truly uh, materialize the way that we want to.
1: I mean, I, I definitely agree with that take. And I, I will say it is the Bengals at the end of the day, terrible franchise. And we've we've been burned by them plenty of times. I would not expect much to, to change in twenty twenty one so if some of these guys bust, you know it won't shock me at at all, and they have what like four or five players being drafted in the top one hundred, yeah, that could be a disaster waiting to happen uh for sure.
0: another disaster that I think could be waiting to happen and will stay in the same division is you know with the Steelers. Just how dusty do we think that Big Ben is mm-hmm. at this point in his career? Because the way that his wide receivers are being drafted, again, that that's three guys going in the top six or seven rounds in Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Chase Claypool. I, I know that over the past couple of years, we've seen quarterbacks in their elder years put up monster seasons. Brady and Rogers, great examples of that last year. But we've also seen the Philip Rivers of the world completely collapse, the Eli Mannings' Of the world collapse. And I think that it would be fair to say that Big Ben is more similar to those two quarterbacks than he is to Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers
1: yeah I I definitely agree Big Ben is is pretty much done at this point but that doesn't mean he can't support multiple fantasy assets right especially if the Steelers are passing at one of the highest rates in the NFL they did last year they were actually number one in terms of pass attempts per game Big Ben was third in pass attempts he uh, only played 15 games he missed one so if we're if we're seeing that kind of volume out of Big Ben. Deontay, Claypool, Juju. They are fine picks. Um those are the three guys that are going to see majority of targets in that Steelers offense. And I, I think we could talk about their offensive line as well. I know we just talked about it with Cincinnati. Pittsburgh is in a worse situation. They clear cut, have the worst offensive line in the league, by far. No continuity. David DeCastro, they just released him like last week or two weeks ago, who was their all-pro left guard or right guard or or whatever, and... God. That offensive line is going to be horrible. I don't don't know about the efficiency with the Steelers offense. They weren't really efficient last year. I don't think it'll be efficient this year. It's just, will the volume be there now that they drafted uh, Najee Harris in the first round? But I don't think their run game will be any better than it was last season. Najee Harris is a great prospect, obviously, but you need a good offensive line to be able to run the ball, and the Steelers don't have that. If Big Ben is throwing 40 times a game, these guys are going to smash. But if they tone it down a little bit, they're probably fades at their ADP.
0: Yeah, uh, the more I look into the numbers, the more convinced I am that these players are being overdrafted, or or at least that not all of them are going to be able to pay off their ADPs. If we don't include 2019, which was the year that Big Ben only played two games, 2020 was by far the worst season of his career. 6.3 yards per attempt was a career low. He averaged 9.5 yards per completion the first time in his 17-year career that that number was under 10. His yards per game was the lowest it's been since 2012, and the only thing that saved his fantasy season and made these... Players viable was that he threw the ninth most passing touchdowns in the league last year. I think that we see that number come down if we believe that Najee Harris is going to be a bigger factor at, you know, in scoring position than Benny Snell and James Conner were last year. To me, this this team is a team that I think that I want to be lower on market then in pretty much every way, save maybe Deontay Johnson, who I think will be able to get past the bad offensive line and and get there simply off of the fact that Big Ben forces this man targets like he's he's addicted to throwing to him.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely like Deontay the most out of the three Steelers guys, but I still don't have uh, many shares of him, and I don't have many shares of the Steelers players in general. I, I'm pretty sure I don't have. Have one Najee harris share which could backfire because he, he he will see volume for sure with no other running back there but the efficiency is not going to be there for the steelers offense and this is just a declining team in general and i think the offensive line issues are are going to haunt the steelers in 2021 and it's going to be a, it's going to be a problem and um they're they're going to regret drafting a running back in the first round instead of just hammering offensive line.
0: Yeah, I think that that's definitely a solid point. All right, we have two more questions that we are going to answer here. We're going to take it to the running back position, and I'm going to keep it simple, Joey. Who is the Bucks running back to own in 2021?
1: I mean, it, it's got to be Ronald Jones, right?
0: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm interested to hear why you don't think it is, because why I do think it is, is because I think that he's the most talented back on the roster by far um we we've seen now that Leonard fournette is an average running back uh high pedigree coming out of lSU. But hasn't turned out to be what he was supposed to be. So I'm kind of off the Fournette train. Tampa Bay, great offense. You know, they're returning pretty much everybody from their Super Bowl run, and they'll be in contention to be in the Super Bowl again in 2021. I don't know. I just think Ronald Jones is the best running back on the roster. I mean, he was better than Fournette in every single advanced rushing metric last year. Tampa Bay beat writers believe he's going to be the week one starter. You know, he's still only 24 years old. He's gotten better every year. Since being drafted, and he was a running back one for pretty much the entirety of last season. Like up to week 15, he was an RB1 in total points in PPR. And then, if we just take a look at how him and Fournette ranked, just in terms of rushing, PFF has Ronald Jones ranked at number six with an 85.0 grade, and Fournette at 92nd with a 64.6 grade, and Ronald Jones was eighth in the NFL in yards after contact uh, last year. Does Leonard Fournette have a 98-yard run in his range of outcomes? Absolutely not. So just for those reasons, Ronald Jones is is the guy in Tampa Bay, and we we saw him be productive last season in fantasy. So this is just a player that's being criminally undervalued and disrespected, I think.
0: See, I would say that we all just need to accept that this Ronald Jones thing is never gonna happen. Okay, I get that the consistency thing, but if we're talking about best ball, Rojo just does not have the boom week potential that you need. He has three games with 20 plus PPR points in three years. Lenny has 16, and four of them were last year with the Bucks, more than Rojo's had in his entire career if you count the playoff run. I just don't see the appeal with Rojo. He's never going to get the receptions. And outside of a Fournette injury, he'll just never get the volume clear cut. He's played 30 games over the last two seasons. And his averages his average usage over that span, 12 attempts per game and 1.96 receptions per game. That is not usage of a player that I think is worthy of a top 100 pick. At least Fournette has done it. At least he has the ability to put up game-breaking seasons. He had a touchdown in each of the playoff games you know when it really mattered we saw who the bucks valued more i have i have no belief in rojo at this point i think we've seen enough to know that he's not the guy
1: i mean but we've seen enough out of leonard fournette to know that he's not the guy either he doesn't need to be
0: the guy on a weekly basis if we know that he can put up you know an average of four 20 plus ppr games per season
1: i mean true but how how many of those games did he have in the in the regular Fantasy football season last year, two, in, in, in uh, two. as many as in Rocha. in in sixteen weeks, right? And they're going back to back on on, on underdog right now as the RB thirty three and RB thirty four. So it's it's pretty much a pick them at, at that price. If I'm just picking one, I'm picking the more talented player. Um, that's gotten better every single year in his career, and you know we've just seen it out of Fournette that he's never going to be the player that he was drafted. To be, and it's just that simple. Like this is a player that's averaged less than four yards per carry throughout his career. He he just sucks. If we believe that Gio is going to come into Tampa Bay and take a majority of the pass game work, that leaves uh, Ronald Jones and Fournette to basically split one and two down work. And in that situation, you're putting the better running back on the field. I think, and that's Ronald Jones, clear cut. Like I said, every advanced rushing metric shows that Ronald Jones was better than Leonard Fournette last year. And he was a better fantasy running back than Leonard Fournette last year. I'm not too worried about him being the guy in the playoffs. Like I said, he was pretty much average for every game in the playoffs. Leonard Fournette that was. And obviously the the pass catching upside that he has definitely can can set him apart from Rojo if they both split work. But I don't I don't think they're going to split work. I I think Fournette is going to be third in touches in this backfield.
0: You know, some people would probably say it's disrespectful that we haven't really talked about Gio uh, up to this point. I know you mentioned him briefly, but I mean, Gio, the hype train on him is getting a little bit out of control. Like, uh, I know he's got a cool mustache and all, but I'm never drafting Giovanni Bernard in 2021. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I mean, Giovanni Bernard did have more fantasy points than Leonard Fournette last year.
0: Different team. Different situation. <laughs> Joe Mixon got hurt.
1: Hey, I'm just I'm just saying Leonard, Leonard Fournette. I don't, I don't know. I remember you used to hate him.
0: I remember you used to love him.
1: Hey, <laughs> you know you can't get stuck in your takes. Exactly. That's rule number one of fantasy. Exactly. I, yeah, I used to not like Ronald Jones, and now I think just in terms of best ball, it depends on the roster construction, which which we kind of briefly hit on at the beginning of the show. If you take you know, your one running back or your two running backs to start out your draft and hammer your wide, wide receivers in those mid rounds. Ronald Jones is a fine RB3, um, that, you know, is going to get you those 10 to 12 point weeks when, you know, your high ceiling running back that you took in the second round doesn't hit the ceiling that week. And you know, he's a good flex filler. I I don't know. I just, I just like him in uh, I like, I like him in best ball. Even if he's not giving you those 25 point weeks, I I don't see him scoring less than 10 points a good majority of the time. So
0: I think that that does ultimately make sense also just because, you know, I had to look into this Fournette did average more points per game. I geo just played some more games. So let's all chill out. with that. (laughs) All right. Final question, and we're going to go all the way up to the first round where if you've been in these best ball streets for the past couple of weeks, you may may have noticed this. Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley have essentially swapped ADPs. Barkley went from being a guy who was going in the top five every trip and Zeke was a back-end first round pick to these roles essentially being switched. Now Barkley hasn't really fallen outside of the top seven very often, but I have been in drafts where I've seen him go eight. Or nine and i haven't seen zeke fall outside of the top five in quite some time so with these players having essentially swapped adps i'm just curious to check on your perspective and see which you think the better first round pick is if you're sitting there at one five and you have your choice between the two which player are you more likely to take
1: (sighs) that's tough because i do think that just overall talent saquon is a little bit better than zeke at this point in their careers but in terms of best ball, I'd probably draft Zeke there. And, the, and both are great running backs, right? And they've shown that they could be workhorses in the NFL. What breaks it for me is Zeke is attached to a better offense with a top seven to eight quarterback. He's not coming off a major injury. He has a better coach and the Cowboys have a terrible defense. So those are just some reasons that break the tie between Zeke and... And Saquon, I'm taking Zeke over over Saquon in fantasy football for for sure.
0: I think that that is a pretty fair point, and I agree with you, especially with some reports that the Giants might ease Barkley back into things to, to start the year, and you know Devonte Booker could be more involved than I think people are expecting. You know, both of these players had their career seasons in 2018, at least from a fantasy perspective, and we saw that if Barkley is hitting his absolute ceiling, it is higher than Zeke's. He averaged over two points more uh, on a weekly basis than Zeke did. But I, I think that you could look at that as being sort of fluky and situational Zeke. Did not score as many touchdowns as you would expect from him, you know, seeing over 300 touches and Barkley was just feasting off of Eli Manning dump offs in his last season as a full-time starter, 91 receptions for Barkley that, that year. And I think that a lot of that was due to the deterioration of Eli Manning's arm and the fact that he couldn't throw deep if he wanted to. And and I think that it's unlikely that Barkley sees over hundred targets. Like he did that season with all of the assets that the Giants have added. So, um, you know, I I think that Barkley may have the higher ceiling, but Zeke to me is a much safer pick for all the reasons that you mentioned. He's on clear cut, a better offense, one of the best offenses in the league. And the Giants offense is largely a mystery as as to what form it'll take this year. So I'm taking Zeke at this point. But I do want relatively similar exposure. We mentioned it at the top and some of the lessons we learned about exposure from talking to guys like Jack and James and some of our other guests. So to me, I would want slightly higher ownership on Zeke, but nothing drastic. Maybe the difference between like, you know, 12 and 9%.
1: No, that definitely makes sense. And I and I agree with everything that you said. Um, so I, I think we're both obviously uh, higher on Zeke this year. I, I just think that he has everything in his favor while saquon doesn't so it's pretty much a tiebreaker for us over here but uh we'll, we're gonna talk about another giants player here in a second and i'm about to roast you so
0: yeah good luck i, I mean you want to roast me let's do it 1v1 mano y mano benny h from new york versus jdcak big joe let's get it Today, we are debating another giant, like you said, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes, player I'm high on, a player you're low on, you can, you can pick first or second.
1: I'll go first here. Uh, All right. So Daniel Jones, you have him right around Justin Fields, Trey Lance in that same tier with Tua. Mm-hmm. So you're higher than consensus on Daniel Jones. And my problem with that is that Daniel Jones is horrible. He's <laughs> dog shit. he's shown nothing in the nfl up to this point in his career right through 25 career games daniel jones has turned the ball over 38 times i'm pretty sure that's more than any other quarterback in that same time span in the nfl then if we just take a look at the giants the giants have a bottom three offensive line in the nfl horrible terrible did not really do much to address that and free agency, and the draft. So just from a team perspective, I'm not not too high on the Giants uh, with uh, Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator there. Then if we just take a look at Daniel Jones' uh, individual stats last year, 31st in completion percentage, 32nd in touchdown percentage, 27th in yards per attempt, 30th in quarterback rating, and he's bottom five in pretty much every major passing category that the NFL has to offer. So he he's not a good quarterback. And just something that I want to leave the listeners with before I let you go. Drew Locke <laughs> of the Denver Broncos, who is regarded as one of the worst, if not the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, was a better fantasy quarterback than Daniel Jones last season and played in one less game. Let that sink in. Why do we regard Drew Locke as one of the worst, but Daniel Jones gets all this praise when Drew Locke was better the daniel jones last year and has better weapons or, or close to the same amount of weapons that daniel jones has i rest my case
0: <laughs> all right let me just start by correcting some of the mistakes you said before i get into my, my own point first of all you said he's shown nothing i didn't realize that a quarterback who can get an 80 yard uh, rush is showing no nothing.
1: no no i how did i know you were gonna say that how did i know that was gonna be didn't the first realize that point didn't realize that said. was
0: nothing and I
1: yeah I, and you know what he showed he, he showed that he can't get the job done on that same play how do you trip over
0: your own feet <laughs> please tell me he, he's a young man like he you are shit. okay you, you are <laughs> shit <laughs> let me let me let me go to another point that you said turnovers all the turnovers right you know who else had a lot of turnovers the man who was the qb5 in points per game in 2019 a man who goes by the name of Jameis winston as we know From our extensive research into DFS, turnovers, Joey, can actually be a great thing for fantasy quarterbacks because, you know, it speeds up the game. You know, it puts the guys into comeback mode most likely and will increase pass attempts and aggressiveness for that game. So I'm not worried about turnovers. And the thing that you're really missing with this situation is that none of those stats matter anymore. It would have been like quoting Josh Allen stats in 2019 before the addition of Stefan Diggs. What we are seeing or what we are about to see from Daniel Jones is going to be a Josh Allen-like leap. These situations are closer than anybody is giving them credit for, right? Two guys who went in the top seven of the NFL draft, two guys who many people believed were wildly overdrafted, and then... We saw it with Josh Allen. The team finally gives this man a true alpha in Stefan Diggs, and he goes from averaging 18.6 points per game to being the quarterback one last season, averaging 6.7 more points per game over 25. We see the same thing with Daniel Jones. They add a true alpha. Kenny Galladay, best free agent of last year's class. They get the second-best pass-catching running back, if not the best in the league, back from injury, which is a clear-cut upgrade over the likes of Wayne Gallman. And you have some of the best ancillary pieces in the league surrounding Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard, solid number two. Darius Slayton. I don't even need to say more. Kid is just absolutely dripping with talent. There isn't a wide receiver three I'd rather have in the league than Darius Slayton. Evan Ingram. While the drops were ugly last year, he remains a top 10 pass-catching tight end in the NFL. His big, his biggest flaw is just mediocre pass blocking. If he can get past the drops, he should be solid. Oh, and by the way, they spent their first round pick in 2021 on another wide receiver. We've seen Daniel Jones be productive. He was QB 15 in fantasy points per game his rookie year, and that was with a fraction of the talent on the offensive side of the ball that he currently has. I'm not saying draft him as a top 10 guy. I have him as my QB 15 in that tier with guys like you mentioned, Tua, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, but he's going to finish with more points than all of those guys. It's Danny Dimes to the moon time.
1: Absolutely not.
0: Might as well call him Danny Allen.
1: I, I I like that the Giants did go out and they surrounded him with more talent. Uh, obviously, Kenny G drafted Tony. Uh, so I, I like that um, they are taking an approach like the Bills did with Josh Allen. Just what I, what I think separates both of them is that Josh Allen got better in his second season, like significantly better. Then the year three jump was you know predictable more drastic Daniel Jones got worse in his second year and yeah you know maybe you can attribute that to to some injuries and and whatnot but they still had Darius Slayton they still had Sterling Shepard they still had uh Evan Ingram there so he had weapons in the passing game it's it's not like they were trouting out you know what the Lions are going to trot out this year and he he was horrible uh he really only excelled at throwing the ball deep which which I guess is all right for fantasy, but
0: when you add one of the best deep threat wide receivers in the league, shout out to Kenny. I
1: yeah I, I don't I don't know. Um, I I just think that his talent is significantly less than Josh Allen's talent, so it's kind of unfair to compare the two quarterbacks, especially since you know Josh Allen is is probably a one hundred times better passer of the fo- football, more accurate, you know, better arm strength, all that. Um, and I would say Josh Allen's a little bit more mobile, even though, you know, I will give him credit. Dan- Daniel Jones has shown that he does have some mobility to his game, which obviously helps for fantasy. But just at the end of the day, I, I just think he's trash. It's just that simple. I think that you can have all of the talent in the world around you, but if you're not talented yourself, there's a problem. And he could still be productive in fantasy. Is he going to give you those, you know, 30, 35 point games? Probably not. You know, this is this is going to be a guy that's going to get you 20, 22 points a game, man. It's pretty solid. And we know that quarterback scoring is tight and he'll probably finish, you know, as your QB one in best ball a couple weeks out of the year. Just as a player, he, he's just horrible. It's just that simple. Expecting him to go from being, you know, a bottom three quarterback last year to To a top five quarterback in 2021, you know, like how Josh Allen is is considered a top five quarterback now, Uh, but prior to last year, he was probably considered a bottom 10 quarterback by a lot of people. He's definitely not going to make that leap. That's 100% fact.
0: You know who one of the people who was big on the uh, Josh Allen is trash bandwagon was? I know one. He's on this podcast (laughs) and it's not me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I could admit when I'm wrong though. Josh Allen showed last year that he could be he could be a very good quarterback in the NFL.
0: Well, hopefully you can admit when you're wrong about Daniel Jones uh, about this time next year. Trust me, I I won't <laughs> be wrong
1: for for sure because this this kid stinks.
0: I guess time will tell, but that is going to be it for episode one forty nine of the DFS Dose podcast. If you're not already, make sure you are following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. We're closing in on a thousand followers, so go help us hit that benchmark. You can also follow our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carry and DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back next week on July 7th with episode 150. If you ever want to draft some best ball teams with us, we live stream drafts every Monday on the YouTube channel, Twitch and Twitter. You can join our Discord channel for a heads up on when we plan to go live so you can jump in, chat, draft, and chill with us. We always welcome the interaction. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. We hope that you have a great 4th of July weekend. And until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes.